and welcome to the Rev Sarah Shares podcast, which is based on worship from Moncrief Parish Church on the 22nd of January. This week we consider togetherness and unity in Christ. Can focusing on Christ help us work together despite our differences? Using Psalm 27 verses 4 to 6 and 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 18, we ponder conflict, choosing parties or beliefs, and how we actually do fully belong to Christ. We consider things that go together and those that don't yet somehow work. We will never agree on everything, just like you can't please all of the people all of the time. But is there a way through it all? Hopefully the reflection gives us all cause to pause and wonder our role in unity and even in division. John brings us our readings from scripture and in between a reflection from myself. The first lesson is from Psalms, chapter 27, reading from verse 4 to verse 6, inclusive. I have asked the Lord for one thing, one thing only do I want, to live in the Lord's house all my life, to marvel there at his goodness. In times of trouble he will shelter me, He will keep me safe in his temple and make me secure on a high rock. So I will triumph over my enemies around me. With shouts of joy, I will offer sacrifices in his temple. I will sing. I will praise the Lord. I wanted to take just a moment or two to reflect on togetherness. Things that go together are obvious at times, like salt and pepper, hot and cold, peanut butter and jelly. I have never actually tried that and I love peanut butter. Milk and cookies, Batman and Robin. But what about things that don't obviously go together? I was brought up loving cheese and marmalade sandwiches. To some people that's an anathema. And I wonder if you could think about those things in your head that go together that maybe shouldn't go together. I mean, can you now remember a time before salt and caramel were mixed and we had salted caramel, well, just about everything? I wonder what combinations came to mind. A random one that I did find was vanilla ice cream and soya sauce. But I do know that my additional daughter talked taught my children to eat McFlurries with their chips. I know, not for me either. It's said about the church that it is one of the few institutions left where everybody's welcome, regardless of their race, their creed, their colour, their sexuality, their disabilities or not, their um, age, their temperament, their education, their status. You know, we're Royalty and volunteer can worship together where the toddler and the really old share the same space, where the gentlest and the most cantankerous of us all can be together with the same purpose of worshipping God and living out our faith. It does make life interesting at times. There is a real challenge and there can be real conflict whilst we try to work through how to be together. We're not the same and each of us has to find our place, but we are part of the body of Christ 
and each of us has our place, our purpose. Our psalmist that John shared with us from Psalm 27 is very excited about dwelling in the house of the Lord. And look what he pairs together. He pairs safety and the temple, security and the high rock, triumph over enemies. When it comes to being part of God's family, it should be about safety, security, and yes, indeed, triumph. Not about infighting, conflict, and tearing down. It's not that it won't happen, but we reflect God's kingdom in how we are with one another. Are we known for unity or for tearing apart? There are lots of us going to be dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And at least then we will not be able to sin and it will all work out in the end. But it would be really good to practice a little bit of heaven on earth and be able to dwell together in harmony with one another. The second lesson is from the book of 1 Corinthians, reading from chapter 1, verse 10 to verse 18, inquisitive. Divisions in the church. By the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, I appeal to all of you, my brothers and sisters, to agree in what you say, so that there will be no divisions among you. Be completely united with only one thought and one purpose. For some people from Chloe's family have told me quite plainly, my friends, that there are quarrels among you. Let me put it this way. Each, each one of you says something different. One says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Peter. And another, I follow Christ. Christ has been divided into groups. Was it Paul who died on the cross for you? Were you baptized as Paul's disciples? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Caius. No one can say then that you were baptized as my disciples. Oh yes, I also baptized Stephanus and his family, but I can't remember whether I baptized anyone else. Christ did not send me to baptize. He sent me to tell the good news and to tell it without using the language of human wisdom in order to make sure that Christ's death on the cross is not robbed of its power. For the message about Christ's death on the cross is nonsense to those who are being lost. But for us who are being saved, it is God's power. Amen. Yeah, I made a clown of that. Thanks to John for bringing us our readings this week. We're going to reflect a bit more on that passage from 1 Corinthians and thinking about unity. But in order to think about unity, we need to think about division. And there is much around us that causes division. 
in some respects, there always has been. If you go back to Adam and Eve and the story of the apple and the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of life and, and death, etc., then you can see straight away that there has always been a sense of conflict, a sense of tension. You know, Eve being tricked into eating the apple and then giving it to Adam, who knew he could and should refuse it and yet doesn't. We have often been influenced by the words and actions of others. Our worldviews, whether global or local, are shaped by generations of influence, of culture, of thought. It is said that children are not born racist, and that's true. Initially, children respond to the stimuli that is around them, and from there build their own worldviews. Children learn, at least here in this part of Scotland, whether they are blue or green. They learn a family or community version of normal. And therefore, everything that isn't normal is different and open to prejudice in some way. Children are taught prejudice by the conversations they overhear in the family home, the way they witness staff being treated in different places, the snide comments about weights or looks or dress sense. High school arrives and then there are cliques. In my day, we had the trendy bunch who kept up with the latest fashions. We had the nerds, we had the academics or the smarts and we had the misfits. And if you haven't guessed it, I fitted right in with the misfits. We were really just a big bunch of, of teenagers that just didn't fit anywhere else. And of course, better not forget the sporty ones. Nowadays, there are different monikers that my children use about the cliques in their school, but I'll keep those titles to myself. And if we're honest, if we look around our workplaces or our social clubs, we will see too those cliques still exist, perhaps with different titles. The early church, just like the current church, is no different. Paul is writing about the different parties and each was based on a different understanding of what the tenets of faith meant. However, Paul isn't so much calling out the beliefs and the wrestling with faith and the trying to figure it out, but the divisions that it was causing. And he uses in his text an image of a torn garment you can imagine um, wearing a, a garment that has been torn, shredded, and he talks of how unsightly it is. So he doesn't want division. And we have to be careful that we don't conflate that with healthy debates, discussion, and wrestling with God's word and God's teachings. He does continue with that loving tone. The good news uses the phrase, my friend, but we're talking about brothers. This is not the head teacher. Oh, don't you just remember those days of sitting outside the head teacher's office? It's not about the head teacher and the student in this case. It's about family. And Paul is trying to connect with the, the folks of Corinth in a, in a family way rather than in a bossy or academic way. And this is really important for how we understand what is going on here. Paul loves these people. Remember, he has invested time and energy and effort and love into the establishment of the church, which is in Corinth. And he calls them to make up their differences 
Um, and the phrasing that he uses is like two hostile parties for them to come together and find a way forward. And he invites them to be completely united. And he uses a medical term here for where a bone has been broken and it's to be knit together and become stronger for it. He wants them to be whole and that the conflict is unnatural and it needs to be healed. It's one that can be repaired if they're willing to put in the work. It should be noted that Peter and Apollos or Cephas have no idea that this is going on. They are not the instigators of these parties. So we make that absolutely clear from the beginning. They're doing their own thing, totally unaware that their social media has gone viral. Each of the parties, however, speaks to different trains of thought about theological variance and the root of conflict. And it's easy for us to sit back and say, well, this is about that church and we're not like this. We know who we are and we follow God and Jesus is our saviour and so on. But I wonder if, as you hear what these parties stood for, as Barclay explains them, can you hear echoes of that in the church of today? So we have the Paul party. This would have been made up predominantly of Gentiles because Paul has a heart for the Gentiles. His ministry is mostly amongst the Gentile people, bringing Christ to them and including them in the saving nature of the death of Jesus. Of course, Corinth, as you heard last week, and if you missed it, it's still available on YouTube and Facebook and the like. If you missed it, you can go back and watch it. You'll remember that Corinth was an eclectic mix of people from cultures and areas and ethnicities. So for the Paul party, these Gentiles, they thought that this faith in Jesus Christ gave them carte blanche permission to do as they please because Jesus loved them and Jesus would forgive them. They hadn't really cottoned on to the fact that actually to follow Jesus gave them freedom not to sin as opposed to freedom to sin. The Apollos party or Apollo's party were the intellectuals, the academics, the ones who pulled together weird and wonderful thoughts and convoluted them into signs and, and, and wonders in a sense, making justifications and connections in very random places. Apollos himself was a Jew from Alexandria. He was eloquent and knew the scriptures well. Alexandrians were by nature intellectual, and so they intellectualized the faith, turning Christianity more into a philosophy than a religion. Peter's party, if you haven't guessed, if you know your disciples, was most likely Jews who observed the Jewish law and were legalistic by nature and less motivated by grace. And that would easily set them up in conflict with um, Paul's party, the Gentiles. And then finally, there's Christ's party. This is where the Greek is a little bit um, ambiguous because the Greek doesn't use punctuation or spacing. So there are a couple of interpretations to this, but the most likely one is that Paul is calling out those who are arrogant and self-righteous. It's an intolerant party. 
it's the one that perhaps saw itself as the only true Christian party and that they had Christ all to themselves and all the others were completely wrong. I wonder, in that very brief overview of these different groups found in the Church of Corinth, whether you did hear echoes of the church today across denominations, but also highly within the Church of Scotland because we are a broad church and therefore how I preach Christ is not necessarily the same as one of my neighbours would preach the message of Christ. There is room in the church for difference. It doesn't have to lead to conflict. But did you spot or think of the legalistic, the purists, the academics, the ones who let anybody in? And it's interesting that Paul takes this step from these parties into baptism. But there is actually a really important tangible connection that Paul is making. And he's not dismissing baptism and he's not dismissing the baptisms that he participated in. But again, there is division emanating from there. It's quite the who-who, or who's who, sorry, of baptism that Paul um, presents in those wee few verses. Stephanus and his family was most likely the first baptisms that took place there. Uh, Gaius was likely to have been Paul's host. And Crispus was once the leader of the synagogue of Corinth. So like I say, the A-listers in a manner of speaking when it came to baptism. But it's not the baptisms themselves or the people that are the issue here. It's the fact that there's a sense of purpose of baptism that is missed. It's about belonging. They're so caught up in who belongs to which faction about who is right and who is wrong, that they've missed or lost sight of Christ himself. And that's a real risk in any church, ironic as that might sound. Everyone, including those Paul names, are not baptised in the name of Paul, but baptised in the name of Christ. Paul asks whether they were baptised as his disciples. And this is an important distinction that he is trying to make. The culture of the time placed a lot of value on something being in the name of. So it could be, for example, the transfer of money, um, of slaves, of loyalty. And when you gave that in the name of, then that person had full possession of it. It was theirs. So loyalty could be in the name of Caesar, and as a soldier, you were his possession when you declared your loyalty in the name of Caesar. So to be baptized in the name of Jesus meant that you became the full possession of Jesus Christ. And that's not as naff as it sounds. It's a good thing. It really is a good thing. And it's about that relationship that we have with God. And there's that sense of your identity is bound up in that as well. And Paul really here is trying again to use a tangible example of how we don't belong to a party, we belong to Jesus Christ. Paul, like Jesus often did, deflects the glory back to God. 
And that's how he finishes this wee bit. And reading between the lines, we realise that Paul doesn't need the affirmation or the followers. I don't think Paul would be any good necessarily on social media because it's not what he is looking for. His sole purpose is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ through the simplicity of the cross, whilst recognising that the simplicity of the cross is not simple for all. But we're going to come to that a bit more next week. There is an acknowledgement that those who have come to faith will get it more than those who haven't. And he's already praised them for their great faith, for their, for their knowledge, for their experience of faith and trusting in God. At the beginning of his letter, again, check out last week or read the full chapter for yourself. So this week, though, I want us to be gently reminded that we are united in Jesus Christ. We are different. We have different ways of understanding things. We are never, ever all going to sing from the same hymn sheet, as they say. But it doesn't mean that we're not singing hymns to Jesus. I have no doubts that divisions in the church of God will continue until the day God calls time. Human beings are natural, naturally argumentative and conflict arises so easily, even over which drawer we keep the cutlery in, in the kitchen. It doesn't matter whether it's talking about independence for Scotland or whether cream eggs and freddos are smaller than they used to be. We could have an argument in an empty house. The conversations are taking place across the Church of Scotland at the moment and decisions will be made about churches that stay and churches that go and we run a parish system so technically everybody will still have a church that belongs to their area. But there are conversations that are going to cause division and conflict, upset and challenge. Nevertheless, we can be capable of good debate, loving one another and listening with empathy and compassion. We had one such meeting this week and I could feel the tension inside of me listening to the pushing and the pulling, but it was never argumentative. It was a joy to be a part of that conversation and for the positivity that came from it and even the sense of mission and growth. We risk saying that we are Paul's party or Apollos' party or Peter's party. We might even risk saying we're Christ's party in that narrow and tolerant way of saying it. And forget that first and foremost, we are Christians. We are baptised in the name of Jesus. We are fully belonging to him. And we are therefore from there part of the church of God, which is found in wherever it might be. We're not all going to agree on what the future holds or how we go about it, but it doesn't mean that we have to fall into the trap of disunity. We can still be united in Christ. This is my hope, my prayer, my vision for the Church of God, which is located throughout the world. Amen. Thank you for listening once again to the podcast and I look forward to sharing our next sermon, which is about proclaiming Christ next week. Do check us out on social media at Moncrief 
and you'll find out what's happening around the church and can watch or listen to the full service if you wish. I pray that you have a very blessed week and that you do find unity in Christ. God bless you. Bye for now.